Well, this year I was particularly impressed with the fact that the entire Palazzo Lita was taken over by craft. So I really feel that that idea of craft intelligence, of craft tech, is set to become a super interesting trend. Welcome to the WGSN Create Tomorrow podcast. This is the concluding episode of our Milan Design Week special series in which we've explored some of the key trends and brought you insights and interviews from the 2022 edition, which incidentally was the 60th anniversary for the fair that began it all, Salone de Mobile. You'll find many informative reports and inspirational images on the interiors platform of our site covering all the trends from this year's event. So if you're a subscriber, do look out for those. In this episode, WGSN's Director of Interiors, Lisa White, and Head of Interiors, Gemma Roberti, discuss a trend that's one of my personal favourites. So let's dive straight in. Let's talk about one of my favourite trends, always, uh, which is the craft renaissance, uh, which we're tracking. Uh, It's just seeming to run and run, and uh, it's all about traditional craftsmanship and artisanal skills, being renewed for a contemporary audience. There was a lot of this, but I want to know what your highlights were. Lisa? Well, this year I was particularly impressed with the fact that the entire Palazzo Lita was taken over by craft. And that was everything from basketry craft created by Farah Nasri to the Doppio Firma show that showed such a wide range of craft from marquetry to glassware to this amazing radiator made using traditional Japanese lacquer that changes color when the radiator heats up it's by Lincoln Pinon. And it recently won the Betancourt Prize for the intelligence of the hand. And I love that phrase, the intelligence of the hand. And then also the craft mania show at Nilofar was fantastic, again, with a tech-driven angle. Um, Carlo Lorenzetti made a ceramic stool that actually charges your phone. And then the technological stone by OMA at Solid Nature was also mind-blowing for me. So I really feel that that idea of craft intelligence, of craft tech, is set to become a super interesting trend. And did you also have some favourites in this space, Gemma? Yeah, actually, something that I found really interesting, and it really goes to... Proving that we need to listen to designers uh, when we go to exhibitions and spend some time talking because otherwise we don't discover the stories behind the product. So, for instance, at um, Kiki Chudikova, she had this beautiful space um, inspired by the life of insects. There was a lot of uh, beautiful scents that was also researched there. But what I loved is that also the windows, they look like stained glass, but actually the frame was 3D printed. And they are inlaid with this uh, tinted resin. So there was actually, again, this beautiful marriage between tech and craft coming to life. And you had to, you had to talk to her to find out that it was actually 3D printed. And then, of course, more uh, traditional craft. There was quite interesting to see some of the uh, big players, if you want, the big brands, uh, tapping into this. So Noel, for instance... Is it's very unusual for a brand like Noel to work with wood. They have very few pieces. And yet, Antonio Citterio, for them, designed the Clismos collection. So, um, arranged uh, like a, a lounge seat, a bench, uh, and uh, um, 
um, sorry, and, and a small sofa that are made of natural uh, woven cord and an oak frame. And it's such a beautiful, very contemporary, but at the same time, very classical, timeless interpretation of uh, basketry, of this uh, very simple interlace and weave. It's quite a um, striking design. And you can see this as being uh, turning into an iconic, timeless uh, piece for the brand. Or, you know, uh, there was also quite a bit of um, marquetry, inlay, uh, researching into traditional crafts as a way to elevate pieces across uh, the fairgrounds, which was quite interesting. Um, really, really mesmerizing surface work, actually. I think a lot of us uh, were, well, I was taken by the Weave, Restore and Renew project by Lueve, which kind of looked at, it was very Lueve, um, looked at giving new life to things that might have been forgotten or discarded and turned them into new pieces. So like 240 baskets, woven vessels repaired by artisans. And what I particularly loved were the labels, which explained where it was made, the material and the hours that were taken to create it. Um, and we had a little catch up with Jonathan, very brief because I interrupted his cigarette break, but let's hear a little bit from him. We, we did a project like this uh, maybe two years before the pandemic, which was where we worked with different artists, really looking at really, really looking at kind of Japanese culture with this idea of repair and how you find beauty within the mm -hmm. repair. And I think, you know, it's been two years that we've been working on this project and it's really, it's, I think it's really been... Uh, great for the entire team, actually, as a as a kind of process. Ultimately, in mm. very of the time, which yeah. is, um, and, and were you thinking of it before the pandemic, or it literally mm. because it's so? This happened before the pandemic, right. so it's sort of it, we always knew it was going to take a long time because mm -hmm. we had a, a lot of some of the things we had to grow to kind of to actually weave a lot right. of a lot of different people around the world we had to work with. Um, so we always knew it was going to be this very long project. So. Yeah. But yeah, no, but in a weird way, it's like telepathy somehow that it sort of happened. The figures in the middle, mm. is that one particular indigenous? Yeah, no, that's actually from Spain. Right. Um, they're actually from Galicia. They're actually used as raincoats um, in Galicia. And it, they've been going for like yeah. thousands of years. Yeah. But, you know, it's not up until like sort of like the 20s that they stopped using them. Um, so it's, we work with someone who uh, has been making them um, and researching them for the last like 60 years. So it's, been it's like an archive. It's, yeah. yeah. Living archive. Yeah. You're listening to the WGSN Create Tomorrow podcast, and this is our final episode of our Milan Design Week special series, in which we've covered some of the key trends and brought you some interviews on the ground with designers at the fair. Milan Design Week is a tremendously inspiring event. You walk for miles, but you always leave invigorated by creativity. And part of that is spotting the emerging talents and the next generation of designers. So I asked Lisa White, who's been going since 1995, if she spotted any rising stars this year. I'm just going to pick one for the moment because there were so many, but um, I think one of the young designers who I feel has great potential is Audrey Large. She should need Lufar as well, too. And her work looks incredibly digital, like it just appeared out of the metaverse in front of you. And her 3D printed chandelier that she exhibited was the most amazing shade of digital lavender, which is our color of the year for 2023. And it just shimmered in the space and you had to touch it to believe it. So uh, look out for that name, everybody. Um, and what about you, Gemma? Um, well, actually... I would pick out an exhibition of Jan Talitz uh, rather than a specific designer. It's called Mistakes 
fake authentic by AMA Architecture. So this is a competition that, or if you want, a collaborative exhibition that was born in 2019, open to young creatives from across the world interested in proposing an object or a work of art based on the theme that our curators were presenting. So this year, mistakes was the theme. And there's 19 participants. And I have to say, actually, it was quite fresh, quite experimental, without being naive or sometimes, you know, too artsy as some uh, young designers' exhibitions can be. Uh, there was a great balance of designers and creatives and a lot of experimentations with the materials and new applications, but without being frivolous. It gave us actually quite a lot of food for thought, as we say. And I also love that the whole exhibition was sponsored by a carbo roll company. So making use actually of this uh, hyper mundane and underestimated material, in a very creative way throughout the space, cladding the columns, becoming the pedestals, the cabinets, the plinth, uh, layering up, you know, and becoming sofas. So I think it's, it was a really good way to show how design really needs to be sometimes simple and unpretentious, but still inventive, impactful, and inspiring. We come to Milan for inspiration, and we come, you know, we need that food for thought. I just want to end then, um, since we're on this upbeat ending about kind of singing the praises of Milan and, and uh, it was great to be back. Uh, so I just want to end with some upbeat sentiments from Alice Rawthorne and Paola Antonelli about the future uh, when we caught up with them at the fair. How do we change the mindset and how do we persuade um, large brands to change? What, what do you think? Is there a secret answer? Like... There's no secret answer. It's a slow process, it's a, but it's a process that's already in motion. And we have seen it along the years at the Salone. There's more and more. I mean, Jürgen has been at it for many, many years, but I think that it's, it's how these projects get visited, right? There will still be two design weeks. There will still be the buyers from stores that come. And I hope it'll go on forever because we want the industry to exist. We want it to change, of course, so we hope that the industry will feel the pressure from the Fuori Salone. But it is a slow process. It cannot happen overnight. And I think that the generational change will also do a lot, number one. And number two, citizens. You know, we like not to talk about consumers, but rather talk about citizens. Consumerism is something that's been introduced in the world in the 20th century to, to keep certain uh, industries alive. But in truth, we can try, we can try and change it from within. And uh, citizens definitely do that. I mean, yesterday I was having a great conversation with uh, a group of people that are in their 30s. And it was absolutely normal to talk about sustainable practices. It was normal to mention extractive practices. It was normal to talk about diversity. It was normal to talk about gender fluidity. And these were all Italians that were talking about the need to um, to kind of train companies in Italy about diversity and gender fluidity. And they were saying how exciting and difficult the work is. So there, it's happening, but slowly. Um, also, one final question. I know you haven't got a huge amount of time, but um, I don't like gendering behaviours, but I do think that there is a move towards a more collaborative, inclusive, um, what's the word? Like mood in in many things, design, but also in just how things are managed increasingly in companies that we've moved away from a hierarchical kind of model a bit. And I just wondered if you have any thoughts on that being particularly the influence of women 
Um, I would love to say yes, um, but every time I think major advances are made, another high-profile woman bites the dust and is frequently vilified um, and stigmatized in the process. Um, I mean, these things have absolutely got to change, and just as a younger generation of citizens absolutely refuse to accept ecologically irresponsible practices on any scale, um, equally laudably and gloriously, they are absolutely unlikely to accept gendering and bigotry um, on a macro or indeed micro scale. Now, of course, these are very, very contentious issues. Um, there are huge debates even within um, the collectivity of gendering. But I mean, another great recent design book is Caroline Criado Perez's Invisible Women, which is um, we all knew that we suffer um, as non cis white males um, from living in a world that is certainly a material culture that is predominantly designed by and for them. Um, this actually analysed the data and proved conclusively that that was the case in all sorts of um, vernacular things, you know, why are women likelier to be killed or seriously injured in car crashes? Because car safety systems is designed with male crash tests. About the belt, um, right? The seatbelt, yeah. exactly. Um, why are women likelier to die during heart surgery? Um, because all the kit is designed for men or the archetypal cis white males, so on a different scale. When we move into new technologies like artificial intelligence and you have the problem of data bias, where they're using traditional data sets generally predicated on the needs and wishes of cis white males, this introduces racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, on a massive scale, whether it's uh, biometric surveillance systems or um, recruitment um, software that's increasingly used by many major employers. So all these issues have got to be addressed. The positive is that we're so much more aware of them now and there is a younger generation that is simply going to refuse to accept them. I mean, recent um, official data in the UK showed that 17% of um, kids in their late teens um, do not um, specify a binary gender identity. Now that is a very high percentage, that's happened very quickly and it will inexorably continue to, to grow. So it's wonderful to think of a future shaped by a young generation that just refuse all this crap. What a brilliant way to end this series from Milan Design Week. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks to all of our interviewees and the PRs that helped set up the interviews. Thanks to Lisa White and Gemma Roberti and the rest of our interiors team, Bonnie Pierre Davis and Claire Dickinson, who snapped 14,000 inspiring images of this year's event. You can find some of these to accompany this series on our Instagram platform at WGSN and also on our site where you'll find much more insight. Yes, there are a lot more trends that we spotted in the Milan Focus reports on our interiors platform. If you want to find out how to subscribe, head over to WGSN.com to discover how you can get access to our service. We're constantly publishing new content focusing on how we can design a brighter, better future for all of our industries. These now include food and drink, interiors, beauty, fashion and consumer tech. You can subscribe to this show on all major podcast platforms. And if you like what you've heard, why not leave us a rating and review on iTunes? 
that leaves me just to thank our podcast producer Roland Bodenham and Anna Vasquez for the social media excerpts and in the next episode we'll be discussing drinking trends with our food and drink and insight experts so tune in again soon bye for now <laughs>